Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's already a number one new release and bestseller on Amazon, and I'm really excited about this book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders to take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon to pick up your copy today. Now, if you are looking for other ways to support what I do on the show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com. Podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Well, that is it. Today, my guest is Kimberly Weefling. Kimberly is a best-selling author, speaker, leadership coach, and entrepreneur. She is known for her authentically scrappy style and her ability to turn managers into leaders that people willingly follow. Now, this was a fun discussion that I know you will love. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kimberly Weefling. Kimberly is an entrepreneur, speaker, leadership coach, and best-selling author. She is the founder of Weefling Consulting and co-founder of the Silicon Valley Alliances. She has produced six books in her Scrappy brand series, including the international bestseller Scrappy Project Management, which continues to sell well 14 years after the original publication date. Kimberly is known for her authentically scrappy style and her ability to help companies achieve what seems impossible by converting common sense into common practice, which I absolutely love, and I can't wait to talk to her about it. Uh, She understands the power of people, and I'm excited to have her on the show. So, Kimberly, welcome. Thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's great to meet you and have you on the show. And I'm excited to talk to you because I think we share a lot of common views of the world, especially when it comes to leadership and engaging people. And so that's why I'm super excited about uh, having you here today. So let's get, just get started. You, you started your professional career working in engineering management at HP and you oh, learned no, some on, valuable was, lessons. What's that? I started off in the military job. Oh yeah. No, I want to, yeah. So we, we, we also, before we got started, we found out that uh, is not even on her LinkedIn profile. She was an air force veteran and I didn't even mention it in the introduction, but yeah. So you started off in, in the air force before you even went to school and grad school and all that fun stuff. But yes. yeah. So, but um and it's interesting because I wonder if uh, your time in the military and then your time at HP formed kind of the way you think about life and the way you think about people, I wonder. Oh, geez. When I was in the military, it was the first time I'd ever been out of my little hometown. I was living in a foreign country. I was a foreigner. I got to meet people from all over the world. I met people from different races, different parts of the U.S. and other countries. I didn't know anything. I was just you know, 18 and just a new to, and fresh to all of that. And then when I was in the graduate school, of course, an undergraduate, I got all kinds of exposure to cool stuff. But Hewlett Packard, honestly, John, when they hired me, I thought they must have got my resume mixed up with somebody because they're <laughs> they're going to hire the best people in the world. Why, right. why would they hire me? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they were at the time when you worked there. I mean, it's one of the top companies in the world, hiring the yes. best and the brightest, right? And and yes. doing amazing uh, things and uh, lots of projects, high technology company. And uh, what's interesting is, you know, I was looking, reading through some of your materials and you said you felt like a hired assassin at one point where you prioritize projects over people. And, and I, that really stood out to me because I saw that a lot in my engineering career as well, where projects took a priority over people. Tell me how that, uh, what did you see and how did that affect you kind of for the rest of the, the career, yeah. your career and all the things you've worked on since? I'll give you a little background is I was hired First at HP, I was hired as one of the first women repairmen. That's what they called oh, wow. us back in the 80s. <laughs> and like my clients would say, look, she's going to use wrenches. I'm like, yeah, I got a gear puller too. So I, I was kind of tough and in a tough and challenging environment. Then after three years of doing that, I went to the factory, worked in manufacturing, engineering, you know, product like mass spectrometers, hardware, software, firmware, liquids, gases, vacuums, high pressures, high voltages finally made my way up into product development program management of the next generation mass spec. And, you know, this was not like a girl-friendly place at that time, right, John. Right. You know, I had to deal with some tough stuff. So I was like, um, I'm a badass, right? But <laughs> I didn't realize that I was so strong. And I was working at HP where 80 to 90% of people, I've been told by one of the counselors, 80 to 90% were ISTJ, Myers-Briggs type. Mm. Now, guess what mine is? ENFP, the complete opposite. And one of the engineers put it like this. Um, Kimberly, talking with you is like talking to a blowtorch. <laughs> eh, I didn't know. I was just trying to get my job done, and I thought it mattered. Yeah. But I, I was so naive about what it took, you know, I couldn't just carry everybody up the hill on my back. I mean, this is a team sport. And here I was trying to get it all done and force everybody mm. to do what they needed to do. And I could have invited them. I could have mm. built relationships and trust and gotten results through relationships, not at the expense of relationships. I didn't know this. Why did I get through seven years of college and never learn this? 
Well, yeah, that's a whole another thing. They don't teach it in college. <laughs> so, yeah. The interesting. So you you realized at that point that you you were you're sort of your, your tactics in dealing with people was was wrong. You were focused on the project and not the people. Absolutely. And you know what? Those people used me like I hired a Sapson because they needed someone to go in and do their dirty work to uh, kick yeah. some butt and take some names and get stuff done. But it's like, do you really want to be seen dining with your assassin? I don't think so. Oh, so right. they really didn't like me, but they found a use for me. And I was like a weapon they could mm. point at different places. But eventually I decided later on in my next couple of jobs, I said, no, I'm not doing that for money. I'm not sacrificing yeah. these relationships. So another product gets out the door and people don't like me at the end of it and they don't respect me. That's even worse, right? Right. And I, I actually went back to speak at Hewlett Packard years later. And I talked to my former colleagues and said, if I'd have known the relationships in Silicon Valley lasted longer than the jobs, I would have been nicer to y'all. Interesting. I love that you say that because I think that's one thing I read somewhere and it always stuck with me is to go into every relationship like it's going to last 50 years. And, and when you think that way, it changes everything, right? When you're dealing with, with myself, dealing with customers, vendors, uh, employees, and that idea that, and like we said, is a lot, of time, a lot of times the relationships last longer than the job that they're in, in the, you know, the companies they're in. Yeah. Interesting. Well, where I now I'm a co-founder of the Silicon Valley Engineering Leadership Community, and we've been meeting and coalescing for the last 15 years or more. And that's our guiding motto is come to the Silicon Valley Engineering Leadership Community, where the relationships last longer than the jobs and some of the companies in Silicon Valley. <laughs> well, that's very true. <laughs> that's interesting. Very cool. So I, it's funny. I you, you know when I read all of your material, I was thinking uh, the scrappy style and. and uh, definitely scrappy. I'm seeing that firsthand now. Um, where, where did this come from? Was it, is it some of your background in, in the military? Was it, was it being in this man's world in HP? Where did scrappy come from? <laughs> well, if you knew the rest of my family, you would say, gee, she's rather mild. <laughs> ah, I see. Okay. <laughs> this is genetic. I grew up a weefling and, uh, you know, we're up there hunting and shooting and fishing and killing stuff and skiing on the ski boats and stuff. And, you know, my brothers who are big time hunters, their motto is if it flies, it dies. Nice. If it's brown, it's down. If it bleeds, we can kill it. So I was the most sophisticated and gentle of those weeflings. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So part of it just is your family, how you were brought up. And absolutely. That's right. Well, and, you know, my dad kind of set the standard of nothing was impossible. Oh, yeah. you no, So I need to buy a special $50 wrench to take this part off my car. I don't think so. And he'd just figure out how to do it himself. And, and, and if we couldn't figure out, figure it out. And he was kind of rough on us. And yeah. I, mean, I do resent him for a lot of that, but I also am grateful that he taught us nothing's impossible. You just don't know how to do it yet. Yeah, I know. It's interesting because we tend to give up like when things get hard, but I think it's actually good to have that kind of style. I mean, on a submarine, when they locked the hatches, went out to sea, if we ran out of something or something broke, we just had to figure out how to make it work, right? There was no one to call. There was no helpline. There was no internet. We just had to figure it out. And that's, that's we were very resourceful. I guess you could say we we're kind of scrappy as submarines because we had to make things, we had to keep things running until we could get home and fix it, you know? Well, heck yeah. I mean, I went through seven years of studying physics 
in uh, college and graduate school. I can tell you, I only got 100% on one test ever in seven years. Some <laughs> tests I got a 40% and that was still an A. You can graduate with a master's degree in physics on partial credit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And Believe I live me. in Silicon Valley. We, we, if you, we don't call it failure here. We call it a prototype. You go to the Facebook campus and on the back, it says Silicon Graphics. Interesting. <laughs> wow, that's great. I love it. That's great. Oh, you're right. I mean, it's it's not it's not failure. It's a it's a chance to learn. It's a prototype, right? It's an early prototype. Right Experiment. Fail forward, baby. Yeah. yeah. Fail and learn. So you know, you've worked with amazing companies, over 100 major corporations. I you know I, I listed some of them. You know, Yamaha Motors, uh, Suntory, uh, Mitsubishi, NASA, Indeed. You know, what are what are the kind of problems that people come to you to, that they're trying to solve? And how are you able to help them? What are, what, what are sort of the, the themes that you're seeing, maybe even more recently with uh, post-pandemic and, uh, and this remote work stuff? And, you know, I don't know, what are the kind of challenges that you see that that companies are going through with respect to the problems in terms of leadership and organizations and what have you? Well, we have seen things, of course, shift a bit during the pandemic. But it started off like, hey, we have good, smart, professional, well-educated, experienced people that cannot come together and get things done together like a real team. Why not? And sometimes it's because they're from different countries or different languages or different organizational uh, silos and stuff like that. But I have found like, hey, who's married to someone from their same country, speaks their same language? You ever have any problems communicating? Yeah, it's not just because of culture and country and language. And during the pandemic, what has happened is there's been such an understanding that Woo, we're going to lose our great people if we don't start engaging them and making them feel really committed to being here and like they're cared about, like they belong, like our purpose matters. And um, and what I tell, you know, what I tell my clients is, hey, your big, smart, strong professionals are not going to come to their managers and say, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm right. anxious, I'm feeling isolated. I'm feeling hopeless. They're not going to tell you, but they are. How do I know? Because they tell me. Hmm. And I uh, like, because I'm, you know, an outside person here to listen. And, and sometimes there's a whole lot going on under the surface. And of course, a lot of my clients are men because the engineering field is still dominated by men. And I work with a lot of technical companies and it's still not okay, unfortunately, for men to say, hey, I'm having a crappy emotional day hmm. and uh, that, but they are, and we need to offer them the kind of support that they require to be productive. Otherwise, there's all kinds of downsides, including voluntary turnover. Eh. Like one of my clients was having came to us because they were having 22% of their people quitting every year. Mm. This is a huge company doing business in over 100 different countries. Can you imagine one out of five people quitting every year? And I, they didn't even tell me that. They just said, oh, yeah, help us make these people better, better managers. I'm like, no. I want to make managers into leaders and groups into real teams that can work together to get impossible stuff done. So we just put like a little three-day workshop together, which I secretly call how not to be a boss hole. <laughs> and, and then and, and, and over that. a five-year period, you know, the 250 graduates of that three-day program, which we ran many times, only 1% of them quit every year. And, um, but I said, Hey, yeah, you sent me people unlikely to quit. They said, no, no, no. We checked the people who report to your graduates, only 12% quit. So if you can go from 22% quitting to 12% among people that never met us in our workshop, 
just because their manager turns into a better leader, that's pretty good. And it saves, well, you know, $5 million or more for that particular company. Yeah, that's interesting because I think what you're saying is common sense, right? For me, someone who's been in leadership for 30 years, right? But you say, and I love this, that common sense is not common practice. And it's part of the reason we have this problem with engagement today. I mean, it's not today. It's been been consistent for 25, 30 years since Gallup's been measuring it, right? Right. Is that the, 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 the amount of people that are disengaged at work is at a very high level in the 70s, 67%, I think the latest one, right? But it's been consistently there. And, and a big part of it is is leadership, is as you 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 say. And um, wh- why do you think that this common sense, you know, ideas, these common ways of doing things, and, and things that have been taught for years, are not applied? We're not doing yeah. these basic things. Well, one of my buddy uh, Robert Sutton at Stanford University, an amazing leader in this field, he wrote a, bo- a book called "The No Asshole Rule." And talked about how, you know, even one jerk can diminish the productivity of a dozen people. And he also wrote The Knowing Doing Gap, which talks about some things that get between knowing something and doing it. But all you need to do is think about, yeah, how many people in the U.S. are overweight? Uh, 60%. Anybody know how to lose weight? Yeah. Eat less, exercise more. Thank you very much. And still 60% of us are overweight. So knowing Uh, how changes nothing. So what are you committed to more than being comfortable, more than sinking into your habits instead of just reading about it, actually go to the gym. You're not going to lose weight by reading a book about exercise. You got to go to the gym. And I think we have to do that with the leadership gym. Work out every day. There's five practices and 30 behaviors that Jim Kuzes and Barry Posner have defined very clearly for the past 30 years. If you do these 30 things more, people will think you're a better leader, even if you don't feel like it. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, think, you know, leadership skills are like any other skills, right? They have to be, you have to not just read about them, not just listen to a podcast, listen or or listen to an audible book or read a book. You've got to actually practice it you, and you have to get better at it. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, well, let me just tell you those five key areas that the Leadership Challenge has documented and studied over the past, uh, what is it, 30 years, over 70 different countries. That's five areas. If you want to be a great leader, model the way. Yeah. You know, act like the kind of leader you want other people to behave as. Inspire a shared vision. And by the way, the two of the top four reasons that teams fail are they don't have a clear shared vision or individual team goals are on the line. And then uh, challenge the process. Think out of the box, so to speak. Well, where's the box in our heads? And then uh, enable other people. You know, don't just sit there going through your email box. When you die, your email inbox will not be empty. And that mm-hmm. is not the job of the manager of a team. And then the final one, which is the least practice in the whole world is the area called encourage the heart. One of the five things, five practices of the best leaders is to encourage the heart, celebrate, acknowledge, appreciate, recognize. How hard is that? doesn't even cost anything. But when I ask people who's been acknowledged or recognized in the last week or two, no. Uh -uh. In fact, one of my Japanese clients there was an american guy who was working for a japanese guy and after six months he's working for this guy no feedback good or bad he walks up to him of course the the, the manager is typing on his computer doing email or the e stands for evil mind you and and the guy goes hey so i've been working for you for six months Um, how am i doing he goes hmm good (laughs) (laughs) that's what you call feedback we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors 
Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it doesn't cost any extra to to lead from the heart and to actually get to know your people and and to treat them with respect and to thank them and to encourage them. That's really interesting that it's and again, it's something that is not uh not difficult to do, but um again, it's very rare today. I, I didn't see a lot of it in 22 years in corporate, I can tell you that. Ah, no. Well, so uh there's first thing is we think that feedback is criticism. We think they're the same thing. Like imagine you're in the corporate world and your manager says, hey, come into my office. I want to give you some feedback. Are you thinking you're going to get, you know, some thumbs up kudos? Yeah. You're probably looking for criticism, right? So we don't even realize that feedback can be positive. And then going beyond good job, there was a wonderful book published called Extraordinary Influence about how to really acknowledge someone. Like, let me try it on you, John. You, you say what they did, how they did it, why you admire it, and who they are that inspires you. Mm. So like, John, you prepared so well for this podcast. And, and you sent me email and you made sure I knew it was expecting here when we showed up and you got me all prepped and ready and made me feel comfortable. And I can see just by talking with you a few minutes, how committed you are to transforming planet Earth for the better through getting this leadership message out and who you are as a leader. I'm already inspired by that. So thank you, John, for who you are and what you're doing and how you're doing it and why. <laughs> I love it. You're hired. I need a hype person. You can just follow me around. Just say that to everyone. <laughs> well, now you try that with somebody sincere from the heart. You tell yeah. them what they did that you appreciate and how they did it that, you know, you admire and why they did it that inspires you and who they are that you think is just awesome. Tears will come to their eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, it's so true. I mean, I actually talk about it in one of my books that uh, I, I went out in the shop floor. One of the things you have to be present. So it's one of the things to get out of your office, spend time with people to see them doing amazing things. And I remember I had an engineering manager that he was reworking some parts out in the factory. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, these parts came in wrong, but I know how to fix them so we can use them so we can keep production going. And I said to him, you know, I said, Rodolfo, you don't have to do that. He said, I know, but if I do this, we can, we can meet the numbers. We can take care of the customers and, uh, and nothing stops. And I was like, you don't know how much I appreciate you uh, being here and doing that. And, uh, and thank you for, uh, you know, but it was one of those things you got to be present to win, right? You have to be physically, you have to actually know your people and see them doing great things and catch them doing great things. If you want to be able to have that acknowledgement. So that's very good. Very important. And also celebrating the mistakes, because let me tell you, when I was first invited to go to Japan, they said, hey, come to Japan and help us acquire the Silicon Valley innovation mindset and teach us creativity and innovation. And I said, OK, sure. When's the last time you celebrated a failure? And they're like, yeah, oh, no, no, we do not celebrate such things. I'm like, well, then you can't have innovation. You know, you've got to take necessary risks. You've got to make mistakes that you learn from, not the same mistakes, but new and more exciting ones. And then you have to fail forward. And there's yeah. even a Japanese saying that's basically seven times fall down, eight times stand up. Yes, but we don't like failure. 
Yeah, we don't. I mean, it's funny because we learn so much from failure because it's such an emotional response, right? That yeah. that we 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 instantly want to learn from that and get better, right? But yet we tend to put guardrails up and prevent failure. So one of the things I notice is like we don't give challenging projects to new employees, we or, or younger employees. We tend to give it to our most experienced people because we don't want failure. We don't want we don't we don't want to give that uh-huh. chance for something wrong to happen. But yet we don't give those young people the chance to learn through failure or learn to learn through the process of doing something and learning from it and, and struggling mm-hmm. through it. So we tend to try to take the easy path with, with employees is what I notice a lot of companies do. Well, well, it matters if you're launching a rocket into outer space and you don't want it to blow up and kill people. That's a good point. But if there's something else that's not going to be a disaster that's recoverable, then it's a chance to prototype, to iterate, or you tell them, you know, do it quick and dirty, do a low fidelity experiment and to learn from if you never let them learn. See, the, the we say the perfect is the enemy of the good enough. Yeah. Perfect is the enemy of innovation in Silicon Valley. And there's we're surrounded by rubble of so-called failures. We don't call them failures, just a prototype. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's such a good, that's a good, such a good way to look at failure. That's great. Um, you say that um you want to try to turn managers into leaders that people will willingly follow, which I love. I always say I want to create leaders um to uh leaders worth following. So it's just kind of a similar language. People are willing to follow those. So how do you do that? What is the biggest thing that managers need to do to make that shift to become a uh, a leader that people are willingly and wanting to follow. You even say that Monday mornings, uh, the the alarm is like is actually like an like an ice cream truck. Is they they're running to work. They want to come to work. They're excited to come to work. How do you make that shift from managers doing emails to leaders? Yeah. Well, I mean, I take all my material from proven, fact based research, and this is right out of the leadership challenge, based on all these thirty years of what really works. And there's uh, five areas, which I talked about previously, and the 30 behaviors. And if you practice these behaviors more, you will become a better leader. So I encourage your listeners to reach out to the Leadership Challenge and to look at the five areas and the 30 behaviors of the best leaders in the world. But there are things like, uh, yeah, listen to your employees, uh, creates a vision of the future that inspires them, uh, appreciates contributions. Uh, does what you say you're going to do, keeps your promises. It's like you said, it's common sense, but it's not common practice. And I think we don't want to trivialize it, right? These things are simple, but they're not easy Hmm. because everybody's got their challenges, even the managers, and you're stressed out or you have some family problems or you have some other thing happening Hmm. in your life. Are you really fully present to say, gosh, today I'm going to make sure I inspire a shared vision and I challenge the process and I support my people with appreciate. Well, no, you're having a bad day, too. And, and this is where the chicken comes in. All right. <laughs> Tell us about the chicken, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing. OK, I've worked with people all over the world. Right. So I work with individual contributors and they say, yes, Kimberly, we we know we should behave this way. We can lead from any chair without position or title just by our actions. But it's our managers who are really the problem. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. So I talk to the managers. I get them in a workshop. Yes, Kimberly. It's yes, we know it. But it's our executives. They're really screwed up. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I get their executives into workshop if I can. You know, that's tough. And they go, "Ah, it's a little bit awkward but it's really the president 
Uh, the president blames the CEO. CEO mm. blames the chairman. I literally had one of my clients write to me and say their chairman had died. And I wrote my my sincere condolences. I'm so sorry. And they said, yes, but now we can make some good changes as if that chairman was stopping them from leaving. Right. Oh, please. So that's why I carried the chicken around. And then I hold it at shoulder level and I let it go. And I asked people all over the world, what caused this chicken to fall and hit the ground? And you know what they say, John? What? Gravity. Gravity. And I'm like, seriously, people, I'm a physicist. I'm not going to try to change the gravitational constant of the universe. Is there anything else? And then they say, the chicken didn't fly. I said, it's a rubber chicken. He's not going to fly. Is there anything, anything that I am doing? Oh, yeah, you let go of it. Yes. Let's please focus on how we are contributing Mm. to the stuff we're complaining about and how we can impact it in a positive and powerful way and stop waiting for someone above us to fix it. Because I honestly, at some point, I said, oh, I know, aliens landed on planet Earth, set up sick, twisted, dysfunctional organizations, and then left because I can't find a single person who's responsible for this dysfunctionality. Right, right. Yeah. So, so basically you've got to take control. You've got to do what you can with what you, what you have and and stop trying to say, you know, stop waiting for the guy above you to, or gal above you to make that decision or make that call. I would say take responsibility. Take responsibility. Yes. I know there are things outside of my control. There's always gravity. Leaders ask, how am I contributing to what's happening here? And how might I contribute in a way that's powerful and positive and shifts things in the direction? And then how might I attract and inspire and magnetize others to join me so we can create a pocket of excellence in the sea of chaos and dysfunctionality? That's That's what Jim Collins talks about, right? Just create a, a place where there's a little pocket of excellence. And sure, there could be someone outside that might try to destroy you. You can't be a great leader if you have a kid in college, a spouse who doesn't work or a mortgage, right? Because you might get fired for it. Oh, well. Yeah, no, I love what you say, a pocket, create a pocket of excellence. So those people listening in and you said, might say to yourself, well, I'm not the general manager. I'm just running one department. Well, why not make that the best department in your company? Why don't you make that pocket of excellence where everybody wants to be on your team? Everybody's your, your peers see your success and they want to emulate it. Uh, your boss sees your success and wants to give you more opportunity to grow. Why not create a pocket of excellence in the area of which you have influence? That's such great advice. I love that. Um, I guess I'm going to have to get a chicken now and uh, carry it around with me. Give so. me your address and you will receive one <laughs> magically in the mail. <laughs> I love that. So, so yeah, I mean, control what you can and, and create a pocket of excellence. That's a great piece of advice. That's fantastic. And, you know, I want to make it so simple because here's some things I've really done during my career. Even when I was an individual contributor, I put together a lunch and learn. I just went to one of the uh, executives and say, could we have, you know, $50 a week for some pizzas? Sure. And every week we would have a lunch and learn where one of the people who worked at the organization would give a little chalk talk. No big preparation, Mm -hmm. just so we could get to know each other. And then I went to another one. I said, Uh, why don't we go every Friday after work and have some kind of sit around and have some beers together? Oh yeah. Okay. So we did that. And if you pick that up, pick up the tab, whatever. And that totally changed things. And then another one was like, well, why don't we have a sharing library for books? Everybody can bring in a book and we can all Mm. share and book swap and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be ridiculous. And you can also even just do it by being the person who sincerely and specifically 
shares appreciation. I, I set up an appreciation program at one of the Hewlett Packard divisions where anybody could go to any of the admins, pick up a certificate and sign, what did you do? And what are you appreciated for? And give it to you with a little $5 gift certificate for the cafeteria. And, you know, it's like the cafeteria for crying out loud, but people wouldn't even use the gift certificate, but they never throw that certificate away that says somebody noticed that yeah. I did something. And I did all of that when I wasn't even a manager. I was just a you know individual contributor. You can do these things if you take action and if you care. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So um, one of the things we talked about a little bit was was your mission. And I love it. Can you explain uh, to the audience what your mission is? I love it. <laughs> it's very similar to my mission. My mission is to build a world with better bosses. But yours <laughs> is actually much better. <laughs> well, I was struck as you are at how low employee engagement is globally. I, For example, even in the U.S., which is the best in the world, it's, oh, 33% of people go to work really engaged, and the rest of them are either not engaged or actively working against their own companies. Yeah. Then for the past 15 years or so, I've been working with Japan, Japanese companies, where they have almost the lowest engagement in the world mm-hmm. for developed countries with 6% of their workers <laughs> engaged. Wow. I mean, 6%, and it actually went down from 7% from the last time Gallup measured it. And I saw a book by Gallup uh, a couple of years ago, which kind of gives it away called It's the Manager. And I realized, you know, the direct manager has the most impact on engagement and all of this misery and suffering. What does it get you? Well, companies that have the highest engagement, like around 70 percent is the best in Gallup's uh, repertoire there. They make more money, revenue, higher profit, lower accidents, higher quality, more customer satisfaction, lower turnover. Every measure of business success is improved by increasing employee engagement. There's literally no downside. So I want to get this all over the world so that people do not have to have a job that sucks their will to live in order to get a paycheck. I want them to run into work like it's the ice cream truck. Yes, why not? Work is the play of adulthood and can be if we feel like we have a purpose beyond profit, we have a mission that matters and that we belong and people appreciate our contribution and that we're working with people that we admire and respect and they care about us and listen to us. This this is not rocket science, right? (laughs) I wish I had studied this instead of physics for seven years. Absolutely. That is so good. And that's so spot on. And and, it, and again, it aligns really well with the things we're trying to do on this show. Kimberly, thank you for being on the show. How can people find out more about you, your company and your books that you've written? Well, you can go to weefling.com if you can spell it or KimberlyWeefling.com if you can spell that or just call the police. They should know where I am. <laughs> I am pretty much the only Kimberly Weefling out there on the worldwide waste of time. I mean, the World Wide Web. Uh, and I would be delighted to hear from anybody about things where they would need a little dose of Scrappy or check out my book, Scrappy Project Management. I also have a workbook called Inspired Organizational mm. Cultures that you can flip through to see how you can make your organizational culture rock. And a bunch of my friends uh, from Silicon Valley helped write a book called Ideas into Impact, Ooh, which nice. is some really amazing perspectives on the Silicon Valley approach to how to lead a team, an organization, create and innovate. I, I, I hope we cross paths, you and your listeners. I'd be delighted to hear from anybody who has the time to reach out to me. Thank you so much. 
Oh, well, fantastic. Well, we're going to put links in the show notes for all those resources. And again, reach out to Kimberly. She's got some great resources, great books. She's a bit scrappy, but you're going to learn a lot and you're going to get a lot done. And uh, and I love it. Uh, I love the idea of common sense practically applied. We're going to make it common practice. <laughs> and, and if you're watching on YouTube, she's wearing funny glasses and... <laughs> Got all sorts of things happening (laughs) because you know I want people to understand. Don't hire me if you don't want this, right? I'm a fish. If you want to climb a tree, get a squirrel. (laughs) Absolutely, I love it. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for being on the show and and uh, really sharing all all of the ideas and wisdoms that you brought to the show. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Let's fix this world together. Let's transform planet Earth for the better, for the good of all. I love it. I love it. Thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.